Well, hello. Oh, hi. How are you? Oh, hanging in here. It was a long night at work last night. Didn't go off till 1 a.m. Got little bags under my eyes. That's okay. That sucks. I have a headache that won't go in. I already took medicine for it. <clears throat> the fun part is saying hi after we've just talked for like 30 minutes. And then it's like podcast mode. Hello. Okay, yes. Let's pretend like we're just now talking. <laughs> cool. Well, we're going to go ahead and say hello to all of our patients. So feel free to jump ahead 20 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever. So we'll go ahead and say hello. So hello to everybody in the United States, in the United Kingdom. India, Ireland, Australia, Bulgaria, Jamaica, Russia, Belgium, Canada, Germany, Italy, Sweden. Hey, Sweden, that's where I am. Portugal, El Salvador, Norway, the Philippines, Oman, Nigeria, the United Arab um, oh my God, Emirates. Emirates. Am I saying that? Emirates, I believe. Emirates. Okay. Emirates. If I'm wrong, please correct me. Albania, Cuba, Spain, Iran, Mexico, Poland, South Africa, and Zimbabwe. Hello, Ooh. Zimbabwe. Welcome to the Psychorb. We're so happy to have you. And everyone unknown and in between, we're happy to have you. So welcome. And if you're new here, take a ticket. We'll show you around. But I am Darcy, and I always I say Sharon. it. <laughs> we did it again. <laughs> It's hard, yeah. you guys. Okay, when you're not in the same room, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Shannon. And we are your awesome hosts of Take a Killer to Brunch, a true kind of paranormal and all things spooky podcast. So welcome. Yep. So as always, would you like to kick us off? Oh, I will. I will. Darcy, are you familiar with the name Caitlin Arquette? No. Should I? <laughs> I mean... Maybe, maybe not. I mean, we are into some very, like, true crimey shit. But, you know, for anybody that's not familiar, this is going to be a story. And it's, I've literally titled my episode, Who Killed Caitlin Arquette? Ooh. So it is a murder kind of mystery, kind of like whodunit. With a little bit of an ending good that you guys will all appreciate. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. Caitlin Arquette, who is she? Well, she was a fairly normal, average 18-year-old girl. She had just graduated from high school and decided to move in with her older boyfriend. You know, at first, like any teenager, she lied to her parents. She said, oh, he's just four years older than me. No, he was eight years older than her. Because she knew her parents wouldn't have wanted her to be with somebody that much older than her. So starting off with a great start here. She lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which... To those of you guys that don't know me, that's a very near and dear place to my heart, that state in general. And was known to basically be an outgoing honor student that had been accepted at the University of New Mexico, where she would begin her journey to become like pre-med school grad. So that was kind of her okay. path that she was choosing. So she was, you know, your average girl. She was smart. So obviously based off the title, she was indeed murdered. Both ironically and sadly, this would be similar to a story her mother would write. So she was actually the daughter of, her name is Lois Duncan, and she is a writer. And she was known for some popular books, which one of them, I did. it does sound familiar to me. It's called, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Oh my God, did you not see the movies? No. 
Oh, oh my God, Shannon, the guy with the hook. And it's like, it's a classic, it's like a horror movie. It's like teens, they hit this dude on the road. They dump his body. Like, hey, we're never going to talk about this again. And then this so dude maybe, with the hook for a hand starts showing up and like killing everybody. Okay, so maybe, maybe, it, maybe I know. That sounds like, it sounds so familiar, okay? It, it's like a quintessential Y2K movie. <laughs> you know, it's like, I know what you did last summer and scream and all. Oh my God. Now you got to go watch it. Go watch it. Okay. Okay. I will. I will. So yeah, mm-hmm. she wrote that book and this is about her daughter who was murdered. And of course there's another, there's another book that I guess is popular. It's called Killing Mr. Griffin. So I don't know if you heard of that one too. No, but anyways, so yeah, her mother, ironically enough, wrote murder books and her poor daughter was murdered. So it was a big story is kind of like a high profile thing, especially in New Mexico. Not many people like, know about that state because it's really not that populated. Like, it's really, there's not a lot of people who live there. Like, my family lives there. I'll just say that. And there's a, not a whole lot going on there. <laughs> but, but yeah, so this did happen there. So I will tell you too, like the actual murder. So this is all taking place in 1989. So the murder itself takes place on July 16th. And this was just six weeks after her name's Caitlin, but we'll go... I'll refer to her more as Kate because that's what she went by with her friends. So it was just six weeks after Kate had graduated high school. She would leave her apartment and go to a girlfriend's house that night for dinner. And this was roughly around, I think it was like 9.30 to 10.45. Um, Instead of heading home after the dinner, Kate had planned to go to her mother's house. So why was she doing that, you asked? Well, earlier that day, Kate had called her mother with basically this huge sense of urgency in her voice. And she basically explained, Kay had explained that her and her boyfriend had gotten into this big fight. She didn't want to be with him anymore. She wanted to leave and that they were breaking up and that she, instead of going back home, was just going to go to her mom's house. Okay. So a little foreshadowing is, is that Kate had specifically explained to her mom that if he were to call, her boyfriend were to call, to lie about her whereabouts. Basically say, I don't know where Kate's at. You know, not that, oh, okay. she's coming to my house. So, little dun-dun-dun already. <laughs> so, Kate leaves her friend's house and is heading towards her mom's and was minding her own business and just driving down a road to get to her mom's, heading west, I guess it was. <laughs> and unfortunately was shot twice in the head as she was driving. Oh, my God. Yeah. While she was driving? So, While another car? Yep. Yeah. So, shockingly enough, she did not die immediately. So, they were able to rush her to a hospital and place her into a medically induced coma. However, despite the best efforts of the doctors and the medical team at that hospital, she would be dead in less than 24 hours. So, in the sense that she at least, her family and everybody got to say goodbye to her. But, I mean, when you're shot twice in the head, it's it's not a shocker that... It, it would be an absolute miracle to live from that. Yeah. It's amazing she even made it that far. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we're going to kind of go back a little bit. So that, I know I started out with the actual murder itself and that, you know, doesn't normally happen, but this is because I want to tell the murder whole... mystery does. Yes. So I want to kind of go to the before. So we are now, Kate is dead, which is 24 hours after the shooting, but rewind back five hours, which would still be after the shooting, just so you guys know five hours before she died 
police arrived at the apartment basically to go confront her boyfriend and he basically had no idea that she was even in the hospital had even shot he was shocked he was like what the hell obviously upset and everything so he was able to rush to the hospital to be at Kate's bedside for when she died so that that's a key important fact there so he was there when she died but he had absolutely no idea of anything that happened so he was also able to produce at the time the police had shown up to his house. He was like, I, Kate left me a note, basically. So she, there was the supposed handwritten note stating, it literally said, "Hun, I'll be home at a, and it was, it doesn't specifically say because it's part of the investigation, but it said at a specific time. So I'm sure she probably put like, oh, I'll be home at 11 p.m. or whatever. So there was that note that he produced. He's like, yeah, so I just thought she was going to be home and maybe she got caught up on something with her friend or whatever. And so he had no idea. When they questioned him, he said that he had gone out with a few of his friends. They had eaten. They had played some pool and had a couple of drinks. It's normal. So far, we know that she was shot twice in the head. She was planning on breaking up with her boyfriend. Do you honestly believe in your gut right now at this point? I know there's not a whole lot in the story itself, Darcy, but do you feel like boyfriend had anything involved in this or do you think it was just a random shooting well i'm gonna put on my little detective hat to this story so i'm gonna be keeping up all the clues as of now i mean history has taught us time and time again that spouses and partners are always the top suspects so i think i think it's too weird of a way to kill someone for it to be random so i'll say for now i would say he's involved okay believe it or not police investigated for about over six months uh and all they could come up with after six months of investigating was that it was a random act of violence and that she was murdered but was that the truth well we'll get into that well, see, I still, I'll still stick to my suggestion that. Of course, knowing, you know, who Kate's mother is or was, Lois Duncan decided to do her own investigating, naturally. As a good mother does. Mm-hmm. So, as she starts really digging into her daughter, she did uncover that little innocent Kate, blonde-haired Kate, because she was blonde, did have a dark side. Of course. Blondes have more fun. We do. (laughs) We have lots of fun. (laughs) So it did involve her boyfriend, though, very heavily. So this is where it gets to the the drama. All the drama. Yes. So two and a half months prior to her murder, Kate and her boyfriend would take a road trip to Southern California where she would be involved in a very complex insurance scam. Yeah. Little 18-year-old blonde girl. Mm -mm. Mm -mm -mm. So in a car that Kate had reportedly rented for her boyfriend, basically what they did to do this insurance scam was they staged a rear-end accident. So... From what I was gathering in my research, they were the car that actually rear-ended another car. And so this other car that they rear-ended had, I think, like, it was, like, three or something passengers in it. 
And while it wasn't like a serious, serious accident, like the airbags didn't even deploy, I don't think, supposedly, they went, each one of those people that were in the car that was rear-ended went to like this doctor, right? And they all claimed to like what they call like soft tissue injury, which would be like neck pain, back pain, like neck sprain, all that stuff. With and basically would claim on insurance that way. Mm-hmm. You want to take a wild guess as to who set up this whole thing? Her boyfriend? No, but who he was involved with. So her boyfriend was actually Vietnamese. So reportedly, this is all part of a much larger group of a Vietnamese mafia slash gang, whatever you want to call it, that is a multi-million dollar broad like, scheme. So there are these little fish in this big pond of these gang members, basically. Yep. They do bait shit. Mm. So apparently, reportedly, though, apparently at the time of the accident, Kate wasn't really aware of what she was involved in. And they believe basically that that fight that day that she's like, I'm going to break up with them was regarding this whole incident. Because she probably put two and two together. And some of the sources say as well that she really didn't like a lot of his friends. And he... You know, of course, him being older, like they didn't like her either because she's this little white girl, basically. So she's blonde haired, mm-hmm. you know, they would make fun of her. or They'd only talk in Vietnamese while she was around. That made her really uncomfortable. And basically, the feeling was mutual. Like they didn't like her. She didn't like them. So all that together, she's like, I'm done. I'm out. I can't do this. Like, I can't believe like he put me in. I mean, she wanted to go to med school. And here she is now involved in a fraud scheme. Like she could go to jail, like all this stuff. And she's like, she, she needed out, basically. So as Kate's mother's Lois is finding out all of this information, she's like, well, that must have been the urgency in her voice. And maybe, just maybe, the reason why Kate just was freaking out that day and saying like, hey, I need to come home was because of the fact that Kate felt like she was now in danger, which, sure. sure. And maybe possibly breaking up with her boyfriend also put her at extreme liability to this crime group. You know, that's an extremely likely possibility. Puts a target on your back. Huge. You know anything about the mafia, you don't go, you don't leave alive most of the time. No, no. And that's the thing too, is like, you know, I I honestly believe that like just based off of like researching Kate herself and like what she was about, like I don't I think she was maybe just a little too naive to understand what she was being a part of. And so it was too late. And I honestly, I read in one of the sources is that she herself were doing all this, even like being the person to like rent the car. At the end of the day, with all this fraud, they were only giving her like a $1,500 check. When granted, this whole thing, like every part and piece of it was a part of the like mafia gang down to even the doctor themselves that they were seeing. Yeah. Uh, it was a multi-million dollar thing where they gave her $1,500. <laughs> okay, well, if, if she's getting $1,500, how can she not know what she's getting into until after the fact? I can't hear you. So my theory is, though, is in regards to what you were last saying, Darcy, is that, yeah, she ended up getting money from this, but I think that her being probably, she's, probably more on the privileged side, like 
doesn't really know much about, I mean, she's 18. She, maybe she's never been in a car accident before. Maybe she thought it was just normal to be receiving like a check, like an insurance check for the $1,500. Who knows? Or maybe she kind of knew and then was basically just putting it off until she finally confronted him that night. It was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore because maybe she just got so fearful of like his friends and everything and what she was involved in. Sure. So now here's what gets a little like disturbing and eerie. So her mother also was able to find out because this is back in 1989. You guys were, you know, house phones were a thing. Landlines. <laughs> Landlines. Well, you just so, talk about that on TikTok now, right? <laughs> yeah. But this girl was like, she's like, there should be like a singular phone like in the house that like the whole family could use just it just in case of like emergencies or like it's just like one solid thing. And th- th- this dude cuts in. I don't know if you've ever seen him, but he's like, I have, yeah, he's like, he's, he's just like, like oh, it hurts. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm old. He's like, that's a landline. He's like, the comments that I thought it was a joke, but everyone was telling her how great of an idea was like, they've been around for a long time. But yeah, in fact, my aunt still has a landline. Uh-huh. And it's bizarre. It's like when it rings, I'm like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> Tell her it's back in style now. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. But yes, um, anyway, so this is the disturbing, eerie part is that her mom was basically able to look at phone records of the landline from Kate's apartment, right? So from Kate's apartment at exactly almost the exact time that she was pronounced dead in the hospital, three phone calls were made. You want to know? Apartment? From her apartment. Wait, the one that she lived at with her boyfriend or a different one? Yep, that one. You want to know what those calls were made to? A Vietnamese paralegal. Oh, okay. All three? All three calls were made to this paralegal. The same paralegal that was involved in this fraud scheme. From her boyfriend's apartment while he's at the hospital with her. Exactly. That's where I was like, remember that he's at the hospital with her. Odd. Okay. Right. Odd timing, too. Yeah, that that is really, really eerie. Yes. So, getting into the theories now. Oh, I just realized that my nail polish matches my shirt. hey Hey Oh, Okay. That's the part. Girl moment. Sorry. So, obviously, these are the theories that, that I have come up with and that I think most people would come up with. So obviously learning about the whole Vietnamese crime scheme, we're going to believe that they had something to do with it. Then there is the police believe that it was the random act of violence that took Kate's life. Also, there's that possibility that maybe there was something her mom wasn't able to uncover about her life because her mom obviously didn't even know about this whole car accident thing or anything like that. So was there potentially another person in Kate's life? Now, getting into it, Darcy, at this point, what are you leaning towards? Still her boyfriend? I'm still, I'm still with the boyfriend. I think he's involved either directly or indirectly, but he is, I mean, he's her connection to, like, all this other shit. And I just, I mean, aside from, like, one episode of Forensic Files, which I won't get into, it's not common people are getting shot in moving vehicles and, and a random act of violence. like drive-bys people are shooting random people it just doesn't to me that doesn't make any sense 
but it's like who's doing this random act of violence you know what i mean like a driving car is like that one it doesn't make any sense to me so yeah he he's i don't know i'm sticking with my thing I, the mom is doing great. She should be an investigator. <laughs> yeah, She's doing great. Yeah, she did a good job. She really did. But, so believe it or not, Darcy, this case would not be solved. It has been solved, you guys, but just recently. So as of July 2021, it was finally solved 32 years after the crime was committed. <laughs> I mean, you froze in a really beautiful position. So I will say that like it was like you were just like this. And it was like real. I was like, she looks really good. <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> I love that for myself. Yeah. So I don't know where it broke or froze off. You said, I'll... believe it or not, this case wouldn't be solved. And I was like, and literally <laughs> nothing on a clip. The suspense. Bye. So this case believe it or not, you guys, would not be solved until just recently in July of 2021. Dude, 32 years after it was committed, this crime was officially solved. I'm loving that we're doing all of these up-to-date things. Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to freak Darcy. So the murder would none other but the first person who was at the scene of the crime so at the scene of the crime a man was there and he reportedly had driven up on her vehicle after the shooting had happened because he saw her swerve basically or had seen her hit the light pole and didn't know that she was shot so he stayed Uh at the scene of the crime because police shortly after had shown up Uh uh-huh and was the first witness. His name yeah. is Paul Apodaca. Paul. Paul. One, the police were actually correct in that this was a random act of violence. Oh, so he was the witness that saw these people the drive up. But he was ah. actually the murderer himself. Oh, he was. So he shot her. That's what I was saying. Like the murder was none other than the guy that was just supposedly the first witness. And how they figure that out. So I'm glad you asked that because that was my next bullet point here. So in 2021, Paul was arrested for some probation violations that he had for a previous crime. And while he was in jail, he would do this huge confession. He basically confessed to three cold case murders. Oh, shit. Yes. So his crime spree was from the years 1988 to 1989. Like I said, I was shocked. I was like, I for sure. I was like, you, Darcy, I'm like, it's the fucking mafia. It's the gang. For sure. Nope. So it was just like this huge like plot twist. Just kidding. It's a random person. Another first flap. Please be right. So in February of 2022, so just last year, Paul Apodaca was officially indicted for the crime at his age of 53. So 
He was actually pretty young when he did this. I think he was in his 20s, if I'm doing my did math. Did he say why right. he did it? Well, we're going to get into it because I did. This time, you guys, we're going to go full circle. Full circle. With our research here. Like I said earlier, Paul would confess to a total of three cold case murders. We're going to get into Paul himself here. So, first, I believe it was on his crime spree, was a girl named Althea Oakley, and she was 21 years old in 1988. So, she would unfortunately be fatally stabbed numerous times by Paul as she was walking home from a college party. And basically, it was another one of those wrong place, wrong time type situations. Paul admits his intention actually initially was to rape her after she had simply smiled at him while she was walking. And then men wonder why we don't smile. You <laughs> smile at a man at a red light, he follows you home. You smile at a man on the street, he stabbed you to death. What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, apparently. So she smiled at him, he wanted to rape her, and then got a little nice happy, I guess. That's a really intimate way to kill somebody, though, is like when you stab someone, let alone repeatedly, like that's really intimate. Like homeboy has some ego I issues if she like rejected him and he went all fucking stab happy. Right. So supposedly like they really didn't talk much is more or less like she initially thought that he was probably just like asking for money. She's like, I didn't have any money. That's all he could. That's all the interview said. With Paul was that like she claimed she didn't have any money and that, you know, to just leave her be basically. And instead of just raping her, which in Paula's eyes, believe it or not, you guys, was okay. Because sure. he was, he was quote unquote, he said in, in, the, in an interview that he's like, I firmly believe that as long as you didn't kill anybody, everything else was okay. But he, then he kills her anyway. So I'm like. And he said after the fact that he killed her, it was just like, it was a game over for him. He's like, well, now I really am a terrible person, I guess. And I'm like, because you weren't before or even wanting and to now, rape a woman. Well, I might, I've entered my villain era. I might as well <laughs> embrace it. <laughs> Seriously. God. So next on his list of crime sprees was this poor girl named Stella Gonzalez, who was only 13 years old. In 1988, when Paul decided on one night where he was having a fit of rage for whatever reason, he decided that he was just going to start open firing on basically Stella and her friend with his gun and ended up shooting her in the back of the head and killing her. Ugh. Her friend lived, but another wrong place at the wrong time. So after this one, I think there was one more. One more, but this one at least has a somewhat happy ending-ish. So a couple weeks after Stella Gonzalez, Paul would shoot a transgender woman, basically. And she ended up living. So she survived her gunshot wound. And I believe Paul actually got some jail time for this one. But, and that's where, like, it, it's good. I didn't get the exact amount of time that he had to serve. But this is where it gets frustrating because, like, they didn't understand that this man that they had for this attempted shooting, that he said that he did it, it was because she tricked him and she thought she was a woman, but it was actually a man. So then, you know, altercation happened, shot her, whatever. But she lived. So because she lived, I, he got like a far lesser sentence. And, and like, let's be honest, 
And let's be honest, like, the police probably didn't favor a transgender person. Probably not. So I guess while during the time span of like after the actual crime itself happened and before they were actually able to catch Paul for shooting the transgender woman, there's like a short period of time where it's like, obviously they need to find Paul, arrest him and do all that stuff. You know, they didn't just arrest him at the scene of the crime, apparently was like a few weeks, a few months. And that was the time frame where he had killed Kate. So it was after he shot the first girl, after he shot Stella, after he shot the transgender, but she lived. Then he kills Kate. So he's just on this straight spree at this point. Another one of his crimes that I'll get into just a tad was like, this is just the kind of man he was. So after killing Kate, he ended up having to go to jail, like I said, for the transgender woman. Once he was out, though, it had to have been in like the early 90s or around this time. It, but in 1995, you guys, he was convicted of raping his younger sister, his stepsister, who was only 14 years old. What a piece of shit. Right. And ugh, he would end up serving about 20 years finally for that. Wait, so he was released after being convicted of Kate's murder? No, so he was never, see, he hasn't been convicted of Kate. Oh, okay, got it. Got it, got it, got it. This is pre that. So we're getting to that point. So these are just the crimes before then. So he, like I said, was able to kill Althea, Stella, try to kill the transgender woman, killed Kate. Finally, after killing Kate, didn't get arrested for that or anything like that or didn't get convicted, but was able to be caught for shooting the transgender woman went to jail for I forget how many years, was released, ends up raping his stepsister, who's only 14, then goes back to jail slash prison for 20. And this is where I was like, the timeline kind of matches up. It it makes sense. So if in 1995, he was sentenced to 20 years for raping his younger sister, that would put it then at like, what, like 2015 that he'd be getting out? That's Mm -hmm. easy enough. 2015. So after being released from jail slash prison again, he basically becomes homeless. Like a lot of people we understand that are incarcerated for long periods of time, like they don't know how to readjust to society. And a lot of times they do end up on the streets. So while he was on the streets, he was still on probation, ends up making that probation violation and ends up going back to jail where supposedly when he gets like into central booking, basically, he was heavily intoxicated on drugs, all sorts of things, and made this like confession. So that's where his lawyer tries to like run with it. He's like, at the time, this man could not even sit up, could not open up his eyes, or he was unable to even drink water without assistance. So how can you say that he was being honest and truthful about these confessions? That was quote unquote from the lawyer, Paul. Right. At this point in time in his life, I guess. Paul was just like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Like, maybe in a sense, he did have some sense of remorse because as he's still in jail, he was able to interview multiple times with police officers and investigators and really did confess 100% to these crimes while he was sober. I was able to, like, watch one of his interviews and he, he was crying. He was upset. He said that, you know, all these things, like, let me see where I put down one of his like quotes here. 
Oh, yeah. There we go. So it said, like, clearly from his crimes and stuff like that, they, we could gather that Paul had this huge hatred for women because all the people that he killed were women or what he believed were women. Really? I didn't notice. If- so when asked why Paul had such a hatred for women, he explains it's not just a hatred for women, but also a jealousy for other men. So per him, he says, women would only go for the bad guys and would leave the good guys behind. And his younger self basically would initially think himself as a good guy. So I think the Althea murder was kind of like the catalyst, the start of all this, because she probably did say, oh, I just want to go home. Like, I don't have any money for you. I'm like, I'm sorry. And he took that as like, oh, of course, she only wants the bad guys not me, this good guy, you know, and shoots and kills her. And then his hatred for women probably being turned down a few more times or whatever it was, just spiraled. And maybe yes. each time a woman did turn him down was when he went on his like killing spree, basically. I mean, maybe, but it's like, yes, she's turning down me, the good guy who had the thought to approach her because I wanted to rape her in the first place because that's what good men do. <laughs> He had a very sick and twisted mind and unfortunately like i think we i don't know if i i could see how like certain men like if they they go to the, the extremes you know what i mean and because he seemed to have no happiness in his life or whatever it was he went to a full full bipolar on out like extreme level of hatred for women for all women so that's a little bit about Paul. And I have some fun, not so fun facts, as Darcy would say. So of course, Caitlin's mother, being the writer that she was, did actually write a book as well about this whole thing. And it's really called Who Killed My Daughter. Not so fun fact about that, though, was ironically enough, Paul would end up checking out this book from the prison library and stated he cried for over over a year about all the things that he had done. Good. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, good. You should. You're a dick, to yeah. say the least. So that's, I know my story is not very long this, this week, you guys, but when I first started doing research on it, I was like, oh, the drama. Who done it? And the plot twist at the end that even Darcy and all of her crime expertise, she couldn't, she didn't get it. I tricked her. Fair. To be fair, I don't do a lot of whodunit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do more of like, let's talk about why the serial killer is the way that they are. You know what I mean? So, what, you know, like I said, do you think I'm accurate in describing why Paul is the way he is? I Yes. I mean, I think, th- I mean, I also need to know more. Like, what was his upbringing like? And blah, 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 blah. But based off of the, the things that you've said, I would say yes. I don't think, I mean, maybe in his mind, he thinks he was a good guy, but I don't think that he ever really was. If the thought of raping a woman is seemed okay to you, like everything is okay but murder, which means someone instilled that in him at some point in his life, which probably means there might have been abuse in his childhood, some kind of neglect in his childhood parental neglect if if that's if he was raised by his parents or maybe he lived with different people or maybe he i don't know 
So I would like to know that information just to kind of paint a better picture of his mental state of mind. But and maybe this is just me being, you know, negative. But I think when he was drunk and like confessing and like doing all the things when he violated his parole, it could also just be that institutionalized, like the institutionalization a lot of inmates go through. And he's like, I'd rather just go back to jail because at least I have a place to live and food and, you know, a sense of safety in a sense. So maybe he just did all that. So he didn't actually have to leave prison and go back to being homeless. Like I get that part. But yes, I think your assessment of him was pretty good, pretty spot on for the information that we have. Yeah, I mean, you make a really good point in that, you know, maybe he's just tired of being on the streets, not necessarily like as he said, he said he was tired of like carrying this weight on his shoulders, you know, or whatever. But I think mm-hmm. you're probably accurate too. And he's probably really tired of being on the streets as well. Now, the shocking thing that like kind of threw me through a loop is that I couldn't gather a whole lot about his like childhood past. But one of the articles I had read stated that he was actually really close with his mother, shockingly. So she was actually the okay. singular only person that knew about his crimes that he was committing or had committed. But she had passed away, I believe, in during his incarceration for one of his crimes. So she was no longer living at the time that he confessed. So that's where I was like, maybe he didn't have a father. Maybe that was part of the problem or whatever it may be. But he was actually really close with his mom. Or maybe he like idolized his mom and saw his mom as like the perfect picture of what a woman should be, like kind or whatever. And so each time these other females weren't what like what his mother was towards him maybe he saw them as you know that's my next target like the where the rage comes in yeah i mean that's a good point too if that's that that could fall either way i mean and if there is no father figure that could be a huge thing like who filled that role in his life like was there a family member who maybe had those thoughts that he really looked up to in terms of like a father figure or there there was something that happened to him young enough for him to form this weird thought process about women and it also makes me wonder like maybe he was really close to his mom but maybe her maybe she he didn't have a dad maybe she had a few boyfriends that weren't the best choices and they weren't the best people right we see that a lot too So who knows? The death of his mom could have also been a snapping point for him. So when he got out, he was like, I'm out and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. But yeah, I mean, he could have turned himself in at any point in time if he really felt that bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, like he was like the he was like the first person that police would have interviewed at the scene of the crime that Kate's car was at. And he could have been like, yeah, I did it. Like if he was truly like, I don't know. I don't know, but it finally got solved after 32 years. And not only that, but he was able to confess to the two other cold case murders, too. So at least now the families have some sort of peace. And you know, they know yeah. did it. But yeah, that's my story, you guys. Like I said, I know it's not a super duper long one, but I liked it and I enjoyed doing research on it. So I did it. <laughs> yes, we do love a whodunit. And really quick before we go... I'm just going to cite my sources. So I suck at doing that. But this time I put it in a giant highlighted section here, you guys, so that I didn't forget. 
So I use unsolved mysteries because I love unsolved mysteries. We all know that. There was an article on Inside Edition. And then, of course, <laughs> Kate's mother made a website for her, literally called Who Killed Kate Arquette, <laughs> which goes through lots of detail. And then there was KRQE, which I believe is a one of the popular news stations in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They they had a really good article if you guys want to see it on, and it shows the actual video clip of the police interviewing Paul. So you can kind of see and make your own judgment on if he's truly remorseful or not. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what a wonderful story, Shannon. Bravo. You guys can totally check us out on all of our socials. They'll be somewhere in this vicinity. You'll see them pop up on the screen. But we're on Facebook, Take Killer to Brunch. YouTube, if you're watching us, you've already found it. Take a Killer to Brunch. You can also find us on Instagram at TAKTV Podcast or send us an email at TAKTVPodcast at gmail.com. And with that being said, cheers. Cheers. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.